John 16, verse 23 to 33. Hear the word of the Lord. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. But the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language. But I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me. And have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See, now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, and yes, now has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The grass withers and the flower fades. God's word alone endures forever. Well, uh, we have been taking up in these past uh, few months, not a few months, several months, a study of John chapters 13 to 17, known as that upper room ministry or that upper room discourse of the Lord. And we're at the final part of that upper room ministry of Christ to his apostles. And even though Jesus is speaking these things to his apostles, we understand that they are the ones who became the, the foundation of the church, taking forth what Jesus had taught them and writing them out for the church to have in every generation. And in those ways, uh, understanding that, we see that this is a ministry not just to his apostles, it's been a ministry to his church in every generation that these are words that come and meet us in our time. And the Lord Jesus actually closes His teaching time uh, with some very perplexing words. Now, again, keep in mind that John 13 to 17 is covering a period of time of about four to five hours. That what we can read in an hour was a time over... Uh, an evening meal and into the late evening as they're making their way into the Garden of Gethsemane, that Jesus is setting before them all of these things. And perhaps there's more discourse happening, more back and forth with His, with his apostles. But in the wisdom of God, we have uh, four to five hours condensed in these chapters for us to understand. And and Jesus is is closing this time as I said, with perplexing words about joy, peace, about overcoming in the midst of tribulation and hard trials. 
And Jesus, as we see in verse 25, even admits to the mystery of His words. When He says, these things, all these things that I've been teaching you, you're not really going to understand them until the time of My resurrection, until the time of My days of ministry with you, after I have died and risen. And even more, you're not going to understand the fullness of them until I've ascended and Pentecost comes upon you. That these are things that are going to become realities for you as the fullness of my glory gets exposed before you. And, and there, I believe, we, we see these things and we understand them more clearly because of that very thing. They're confusing for the disciples pre-crucifixion, pre-resurrection. But they're not anymore. And it's at this time that the Lord closes this this teaching time with those words in verse 33. I want you to have them in your mind. A couple things to note. When He says there, Be of good cheer. What an interesting way to close His instructions with with His apostles. Be of good cheer. In other words, be happy. Be filled with a joy. Rejoice. That's what he's saying and communicating. Even though you don't understand some of these things, rejoice. Be of good cheer. Why? Because I've overcome the world. And, And we sort of stand in that victory even more clearly now. It's very interesting that those uh, four words, be of good cheer, that Jesus spoke those words only on four other occasions. And, and they bear with this. They bear in this message. And you're going to hear me referencing them often. The first time Jesus said those words, be of good cheer, it was to that paralytic man who, who could not walk. And instead of healing him immediately, Mark, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, he says, Be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. In other words, be filled with joy at the greatest blessing you can have from God. And that is the forgiveness of all your sins. That into your thoughts. Be of good cheer. Rejoice. The second time he said that was in the same chapter, Matthew 9, verse 22. And and it was to that woman who had the blood issue and who was secretly trying to gain healing from Christ, touched His robe and she was healed instantly. And Jesus stopped and sought her out and He came to that woman and He said, Woman, be of good cheer. Why? Your faith has made you well. Now keep those keep those phrases in mind. Be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Your sins are forgiven. The third time he spoke those words in Matthew 14:27, when the disciples were vigorously trying to get across the Sea of Galilee, and that huge storm came up and was swamping their boats, and they believed they were going to die. And Jesus, in a miraculous way, comes walking out on the water, and as he nears the boat and he sees his struggling servants wrestling against a storm that they had no hope of overcoming. He says to them, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Aren't these wonderful statements? 
What do we have to rejoice in is what I'm getting at. What is it that we take the greatest joy and delight before our God in? And we sang from Psalm 84 on purpose because of that, that phrase, I'd rather spend one day in your courts as a doorkeeper. And you know what the doorkeepers were responsible for in the temple? They were responsible for cleaning up the mess that the animals left as the animals were brought into the temple for sacrifice. Now imagine on that day when Solomon dedicated the temple and there were thousands of animals sacrificed. And you're a doorkeeper. That's your job. It's interesting. The sons of Korah, this is a side note, the sons of Korah were the doorkeepers. And they were the ones, Korah, remember? He said, I don't want this job. And he rebelled against God in that. But you, what did the psalmist say? I'd re- and the psalm was written by the sons of Korah. I'd rather be a doorkeeper than to dwell in tents of wickedness. What do you rejoice in? Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has made you well. It is I. Do not be afraid. And you know the fourth time that Jesus said those words outside of this, outside of here, was to the Apostle Paul. Acts 23.11, when Paul's in prison and there's a great deal of suffering that is still yet before him. And he comes to him and he says, Paul, be of good cheer. You will testify of me before Rome. You will bring a testimony of me before this world. And that phrase, be of good cheer, it means more literally, more, I believe, more convictingly. It doesn't mean simply be happy. It means have good courage. (laughs) Have good courage. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has made you well. Christ Himself is with you. Do not be afraid. You will testify of Him because He's overcome the world. Now you might think, am I stringing a whole lot of hapless verses together? I know that's a very dangerous thing to do. But I want you to see that that is essentially what Jesus has been ministering to His apostles, to His servants, to His disciples in the course of these chapters. Do you understand the joy that you are to have in Christ? And how that rejoicing is to impact your life as a Christian. That Christ here is setting forth Himself as the one in whom we can have a joyful courage that takes away our anxieties and fears and our despair and our guilt. And opens us up to living a courageous, joy-filled life for His glory. And His desire is indeed that we be filled with that joy. He's already expressed that back in verse 20. And we heard this last week, how your sorrow will be turned to joy. And in verse 24, I'm saying these things so that your joy may be full. He wants you to have it. Do you? What is that joy that you are to have? Uh, I'm borrowing this definition again from last week, bringing it forward. That joy that we are to have is this issuing praise, honor, and blessing to God as we experience the peace of knowing that we are the object of the Father's love. 
I'll say it again. But it's important that we're talking about not just being happy or not just saying, well, I'm going to rejoice in spite of it. (laughs) It's a joy that is purposed to settle your souls in the peace of knowing you are the object of the Father's love. And that joy itself in every circumstance allows you to issue praise and honor and blessing to God. You're experiencing the Father's love. What else can it do but issue forth in praise? Now that's hard, isn't it? Because we hear those words, in this world you will have tribulation. You're a Christian, you're going to have tribulation. And that's not just meaning suffering in your own life because of ill health or something like that. Tribulation is a word that focuses specifically on the sufferings that you will experience from this world that is at enmity with God and at enmity with you because you are the seed of the woman. You are the church of Christ. You are going to experience tribulation. But Christ wants you to have your joy full of Him. This is essential Christianity. This is about a living faith. I asked last week and I asked this question again today. Does your joy survive sorrow, grief, and tribulation? Does it? And I challenge you even more today with that question because as we come to the conclusion of this teaching time, that joy now comes front and center in a, in a magnificent way. But I ask you, does your joy survive sorrow, grief, or tribulation? And if it doesn't, if you find yourself coming in, in, in those seasons of sorrow, grief, and tribulation, coming away with greater doubt and disbelief in God, or casting off your faith altogether. If it doesn't, then then two things are happening. One, either you do not trust Christ as you think you do. <laughs> and, and didn't Jesus challenge His disciples with that? They said, we believe, verse 30, we believe you've come from God. And Jesus looks and says, oh, do you? <laughs> You're all going to forsake me. Do you really believe that Jesus is God? If your joy is not surviving, my friends, you're not trusting Christ as you think. And, and, and that is something, indeed, that I hope will be dealt with in this message. But even more, if your joy does not survive, you're not resting in the Father's love. And, and that's Jesus' greater point here, because that's what joy is springing from. I know that I am the object of the Father's love. Do you know that? And, and does that thought even now, does that thought not warm your heart immensely and bring forth a smile upon your face? I'm the object of the Father's love. Praise God. See, this is living faith. And one of the things we see in verses 23 to 27 is this truth, is that joy rests in the Father's love. Because tribulation is going to come. Suffering and sorrow is going to meet your life. Grief and heartache are going to be upon you. Even times that you are going to be fearing a despair and a depression that would overwhelm you like Elijah. And where do you need to go? You've got to go to the Father's love. 
That's where joy rests in the Father's love. And when you look at verses 23 to 27, there's really a a hidden beauty in these words that only the eye of faith in Christ Jesus can lay hold of. Being able to understand plainly what it is to know the Father. Jesus speaks of that. He says there, He says, I'm, I'm telling you these things it's in figurative language, but there's going to be a time when I'll tell you plainly about the Father. So that your joy is resting in His love. You remember earlier, Philip wanted to see the Father. Back in chapter 14, verse 8, when Jesus was speaking those memorable words, I'm sure every one of you as a Christian perhaps has these words memorized. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And what was the first response of Philip? Just show us the Father. (laughs) And, And you remember Jesus lamenting? Have I been with you so long and you don't get it? That to see me is to see the Father. That to be in me is to be in the Father. And, and Jesus is, is emphasizing even more. He says there in verse 23, in that day, you're not going to ask me nothing. It's, it's, you, you will ask me nothing. It's, it's, a, it's a clumsy way of translating it into English. And what he's basically saying is, all your questions will be answered. You'll understand. You'll get it. And what is that day? It's the day of His resurrection. It's the day of His ascension. It's the day of Pentecost. That in the glory of Christ being exposed to the church, in that day, you will get it. And we are in that day. We are still in that day. The day of the Lord's glory. And what Jesus is saying in in verses 23 and 24 very specifically is, do you understand that you have in Christ an unconstrained access to the Father? Do you get that? That in the Lord Jesus, in that name above all names, in that name that is most excellent in the earth. That's why we sang those, those words. Lord our Lord. How excellent is your name in all the earth. In that name, you now have unconstrained access to the Father. Do you get that? Joy does. (laughs) That's the thing. Joy does. Because one of the big things that joy does as it is resting in the Father's love is it cries out to Him. Father, Father, help me. And here we see in verses 23 and 24, Jesus renewing that promise that He already spoke back in chapter 14 to to solidify in the minds of His people this amazing and absolute truth. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask in the Father in My name, He will give it to you. Can you believe that, dear people? Whatever you ask, Ever. The Father will give it to you. We can't grasp it, can we? You know, we show we don't grasp it because we don't ask whatever. We ask not with a solid, resoluting faith that says, God, 
do this. And I know we like to qualify it. Well, it has to be God's will. It has to be in accordance with His Word. And all. Well, of course. But let me, let me make this point. If your desire is the glory of God and your hope of glory is Christ in you, you will ask. And the Father will give it. And, and what Christ wants you to understand is that there is nothing that keeps you from the Father. And I know this statement is going to be slightly controversial. Not even your sin, dear Christian, keeps you from the Father. Do you know what keeps you from the Father when you sin? Your pride. Because what has Jesus said? Come to me! (laughs) I'll give you rest. Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Our sins, yes, they're they're bad. They're, They're wrong. They're vile. They're against God's glory. Yes, we fall short of that glory. But do they keep us from God if we are in Christ? No, what keeps us from God is the stubbornness of pride and a heart that just doesn't flee in repentance to a God who has said, I will forgive you. See why be of good cheer is so important to hear. <laughs> but even, even infirmity of health, the Lord doesn't always heal when we pray. And I don't believe that's a condition of weak faith. Because Paul prayed for healing and the Lord said, No, I want you to enjoy the sufficiency of my grace in your weaknesses. Faith makes us well in those ways, doesn't it? When we cry out to God, when we ask whatever, there's nothing, this is the point, there's nothing that keeps you from the Father. Ask the Father in Jesus' name. Ask the Father for Christ's sake and glory. Ask. And know what it is to see all things put under our feet in the Lord's name. Do we get this? We have unconstrained access to the Father in Christ. And we have that because as Jesus goes on in verses 25 to 27 to say, is is that we have that unbroken love of the Father in Christ. This is, this is even more amazing, even more amazing than our unconstrained access, is that the love that the Father has for us can never be broken if it's in Christ. Never. Never. And, and I know when you're reading verses 25 to 27, there's some confusing language there, especially when Jesus says in that day, you will ask in my name and I do not say to you that I shall pray to the Father for you. I I, I want us to understand, Jesus isn't saying that He isn't going to pray for you anymore, that you can just do it yourself. We know that isn't true because in the next chapter, verse 20, He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe. Yes, He's praying. He prayed for Peter. He prays for His church. He's in heaven interceding for us even now. What he is saying is that in that day, in the day of his resurrection and ascending glory, in the day of Pentecost glory coming upon us, what he is saying is that you will clearly understand why the Father is so willing to receive your prayers offered in my name. And why is that? Verse 27, because he loves you. 
Because he loves you. And why does he love you? Because you love Christ. Isn't that a wondrous circle? And why do I say it's a circle? Because what does John tell us when he writes his letter, 1 John 4.19? Why is it that we love him? Because he first loved us. <laughs> and the Father's loving us from eternity calling us in time to salvation in Christ. And we love Christ for what He's done in redeeming us. And as we're loving Christ, the Father's love is loving us. And it's a love that's always been there from eternity, but now it's exposed more and more in greater measure in our life. Isn't that wondrous? And what can break that? Nothing. What can ever stop the Father from loving you? Your sins? What has He promised? Call his name Jesus. He will save his people from all their sins. Your infirmities, your fears, your fear of men, your fear of circumstances. What can stop the Father loving you? Nothing. Why? Because Christ, his love for his Son, is and will never, can never be broken. And we're in Christ. And His love for us is just as solid. The Father cannot help but love those who love His Son. And you see, my dear friends, this is why your joy rests there. (laughs) Not in your circumstances. Not in whether or not things are going well in your life. Your joy is resting. You can be of good cheer. You can have a good courage that issues forth joy and praise because it's resting in the Father's love. And the second thing we see in verses 28 to 32 is that 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 joy that is resting in the Father's love is further ministered by our Mediator, by Christ who ascended and is sitting at the Father's right hand and, and in these verses, Jesus talks about coming forth from the Father, coming into the world, leaving the world, going back to the Father. Christ is talking about His role as our mediator. As the one who ever uh, takes up that position of high priest to be there as our intercessor before God and to be there as our intercessor from God. He has come and He came to this world. He came from the Father and took to Himself our flesh. Why? So that He could bring to humanity a salvation that was out of this world. (laughs) A salvation that no one of this world could accomplish. A redemption and forgiveness and rescue from sin and death and from evil, and from Satan, that none of us had any power of ourselves to accomplish. He came and He took up our flesh to do that very thing. And He left this world to go back to the Father, to stand in His presence as God and man in that one person forever, so that He could mediate the Father's grace and mercies to us, and mediate us in all things pertaining to God. Isn't that wondrous? And He's there. He's there in this laboring in this way so that our joy can indeed be full. That's why He says in verse 24 He says, ask. Ask in My name. You'll receive it. 
so that your joy can be full. Again, dear Christians, do we comprehend what it is to have such a mediator in heaven at the Father's right hand? The disciples, say, you know, they go on there in verses 29 and 30 and saying, oh, now we get it. And Jesus said, no, you, you haven't got it yet. You're, you're still, uh, as J.C. Ryle said, you're still following me as your teacher. You're still looking to me as your master. You're still loving me as a friend. You're still believing in me as a Messiah. But you don't understand what it is for me to be your mediator. Not yet. Because I haven't died. I haven't risen. I haven't ascended. And I haven't sent the Holy Spirit to be upon you. But in that day, you will understand what it is to have Christ as mediator in heaven for you. And the one through whom all the mercies of the Father will flow. And the one through whom you are able to draw near to the Father. That is what we have. It's a beautiful thing when you read the letter to the Hebrews. You read that that point about Christ as mediator is, is brought out time and time and time again in that letter. Hebrews 2.17, when he speaks about Christ mediating us for all our sins, that the propitiation that is necessary for every one of our sins, a big word, it's a Bible word, it means this, the removal of God's wrath and the stain of our sins. God's wrath is quenched, our stain is removed. Christ is propitiating all our sins before the Father. Isn't that amazing? There isn't a single sin that the sufficiency of Christ isn't able to quench and wash away. How joyful is that? (laughs) I keep coming back to it. That's, That's the key. Remember what the psalmist said. Don't ever tire of hearing this. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not how He's blessed you with your home and your family and all these wonderful things that you enjoy in life. And you start counting all of your blessings. Does He say that? No, He says why? Forget not all the mercies of God that has forgiven all your sins. That's the first and highest blessing. Again, if that doesn't bring joy to your heart, nothing will. We have a God who is holy. And we as a sinner can commune with Him. Isn't that amazing? Jesus ministers joy by His propitiation of our sins, by His sympathizing mercy. He knows what it is to be tempted by this world. And He's ready to help you by His unfailing intercession. I call it my my funeral text. Hebrews 7.25 He ever lives to make intercession for us so that we are saved to the uttermost. Again, is, is is that bringing up a joy and a praise to God? He is doing this. He's covenant keeping 
He's ensuring that the love of the Father is never broken. He's bringing that sanctifying grace and that blood of sprinkling that ever enables us to draw near to our Father. Why can we not be filled with joy? Christ has done this. And He, by His mediation, is ensuring that this joy is never broken. Hallelujah! And why do we need that? Because as Jesus reminds His disciples in verse 32, you're going to fail. You think your faith is strong? You believe that Christ came from God. What does your faith look like when that time of tribulation now comes and meets you? Or as we heard from Peter, he says, don't think it's strange that a fiery trial comes into your life and we, when it happens, we're saying, Why? <laughs> God's coming and saying, I, I, I told you, don't think it's strange. <laughs> but we do. <laughs> and when, when the hardship of the world comes and confronts us, and we already heard that wandering by here this morning, and the enmity of the world meets us, and we behave like the disciples where we leave us, now our joy will falter if we are looking to our faith as its source. Christ is mediating. Think of those words with Peter. Satan would have sifted you like wheat, but I have prayed that your faith should not fail. Isn't that joyful? (laughs) When we fail, Christ's mediating work never fails. And that is your security. This bond that we have in Christ with the Father is a bond that He's maintaining. And the last point, and just very, very quickly in verse 33, that joy rests in the Father's love, that joy is ministered to us by our Mediator, Christ ascended. But that is also a joy that Christ has won for us. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What a powerful way to close this teaching time. And and, and Jesus sets here the contrast of, of our very life. We are in this world, yes. And in this world we will have tribulation. But as believers, as Christians, we have a greater source of identity. We are in Christ. (laughs) And we are in the One who has overcome this world. And if we are in Christ, we have a peace that passes understanding. Remember when Paul wrote those words? That... You know, uh, a peace that passes all understanding, that allows us with all our prayers and thanksgiving, putting our supplications before God, that will guard us from anxiety. But what was the first, what's the words before that? Rejoice in the Lord, always. And again I say rejoice. Why? Because you've got a peace that passes understanding. That Christ is one for you. You see, Jesus has promised no believer a life that is free from trouble in this world. On the contrary, 
we must through much tribulation, not a little, much tribulation, enter the kingdom of heaven. Be of good cheer. Christ has overcome the world. Christ has overcome Satan. He has removed his ability to accuse you. Christ has overcome the powers and principalities of evil. This world, the very most that it can threaten you with is eternal glory. Because if you're in Christ and you die at the hands of this world, where are you? You're in glory. There is no threat from this world. He has overcome sin. Amazing. He's overcome the bondage and power that sin would bring to our lives, that it no longer reigns. He reigns within us. He has overcome death. He's the resurrection and the life who gives us not just a, a hope so hope, it's a sure and certain truth that you will be with Him when you leave this world. Every Everything about this world has been placed under His feet. He has subdued it all and is subduing all things to the Father under His feet. And what did we read in our call to worship? Because we are in Christ. All those things have been subdued under our feet. They no longer identify us or rule us. Christ does. And Paul, even at the end of Romans 16, what did he say to the church? And it pertains here, because what did Jesus say? My peace is what I leave with you. In me, you may have peace, because I have overcome the world. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 16.20. He says, to the church, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) You see, that's the joy that we are standing in. We are not facing a world that can win any battle over us. We're facing a world that has already been conquered by Christ. He's laying hold of it so that the kingdom of God may be established. Isn't that wonderful? You see, there's our joy. And in these ways, we are more than conquerors. We are more than overcomers. Through Him who has loved us. My friends, is that your testimony? Do you know what it is to be in Christ? To have such joy resting in the Father's love? Do you know what it is to love Christ? And to be loved by the Father? Please, I, I implore you, hear God's Word. Hear this Gospel. Don't leave this day without being settled in the saving mercies of our God and King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, blessing to You for Your Word. Thank You for the joy and triumph that is ours in Christ. I pray You will take these words and speak speak their blessing to each of these souls before You. That they know what it is to rest in the love of the Father through the grace of Jesus Christ. That Your Spirit would be filling them with the joy and the peace that comes
comes from our Savior. That they may be full. Full to overflowing. That we could say as the psalmist said. My cup overflows. With the joy of the Lord. Make us strong. Help us to be of good cheer. For your sake and glory we pray. Amen.